Welcome to the Abundant Life Podcast. This is Pastor Derry. Today we continue our series titled The Presence of God with a message called Purpose to Power. In this message, we continue with the revelation of the four chairs and look deeper into how living in the four chair brings a new level of blessing into the life of the believer. Listen in, take notes, and we'll see you at the end of the broadcast. If you want God to do something new, God is willing to do all the new you might want him to. Amen. Amen. But you will have to do something. Amen. Turn to Jeremiah chapter one. We open the service with this. And so the Holy Spirit is going to have us take this a little deeper before we get into what I've intended. But I'm willing to let what I intend go if God's got something better. Amen. 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 If God shows me better, I will repent of what I was going to do. And I will turn and do what God said to do. Amen. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, I'm ready to repent. (laughs) Hallelujah. How many of you know repentance costs you something? I test drove this car one time. (laughs) And when I got in the car, I never wanted to ever own one of these cars. So I said, it's too much money for this car. I would never pay this much money for this car. So I test drove the car. (laughs) And after I test drove the car, I was willing to pay what the car was worth. (laughs) That's called repentance. Something you say, I ain't never going to do that. And then when you find out what the value is, you're willing to pay what you weren't going to pay before. You're willing to do something you weren't willing to do before. Because you've tasted and seen that something is good. And because it's good enough, you say, forget it, I'll pay. I'll pay what's required. See, I never wanted to be a Christian. I grew up in a house where Christianity was there, but I personally did not believe. I did not want to believe. But when I tasted one day and I saw that God was good, I said yes to God. I paid what I was not willing to pay. (laughs) Amen. See, this is what the Bible says in Acts chapter 1. Keep that there. This is what happens. In Acts chapter 1, Uh, That's right. We're going there. But in Acts chapter one, Jesus has shown his disciples his goodness in that he has risen from the dead. He shows them how good he is. They were willing to follow him for a kingdom of the earth because that's what they thought. They looked at Jesus as a political leader. They said he's got special power, but he's come to deliver the kingdom of of Israel that's been under bondage of Greeks and Romans and other people, he's finally going to come and set us free because we're God's chosen people. We're supposed to be free. But Jesus has now come to set us free. And so when they said, Jesus, is this the time you are now going to restore the nation of Israel? He said, no. You're asking about something that's not the timing that you're asking about. The father has kept for those things, for himself, those things. He's kept certain things to his own counsel. The father's not going to answer that question for you right now. But I will tell you this. You're going to receive power when the spirit comes on you. 
and you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the earth. You're going to be able to be a witness to me. And I don't have nothing to do with whether Israel's restored to the kingdom or the kingdom's restored to Israel. You know why Jesus didn't care if Israel was restored to the kingdom? Because he was creating a new kingdom. <laughs> See, Israel was the kingdom that God set up on the earth, but he's setting up a kingdom that doesn't have the boundaries or the borders. He set up a kingdom that a man can't control. He was setting up a kingdom that allows you, if you're in a kingdom where a man is overseeing it, for you to be free and independent, even if a ruler is over you. No matter who you are. No matter who you are, you have the right and the power to operate in freedom. So when we were singing worshiping today and we were talking about he's my healer. And then in the song it says, I will be free. You can make it personal and you can say, I am free. Why? I'm free indeed. Because why? Because Christ in me. The hope of glory is upon my life. And because he's in me, I am free and independent of circumstances around me. I live in the circumstances, but I'm not overwhelmed by circumstances. Tell your neighbor, say, I am not overwhelmed because I've received power when the spirit came upon me. Come on, when power, you receive power when the Spirit came upon you. And if you understand that you receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, then you will understand what I'm getting ready to tell you. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 1, verse, let's go to verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand. I want you to touch your neighbor's hand, your, your neighbor's shoulder. Reach out, touch your neighbor's shoulder real quick. Feel that touch. If you're being touched, I want you to feel that touch. And I want you to think about that touch. What does it feel like? Somebody's hand is on your shoulder. See, a hand on your shoulder can represent comfort. A hand on your shoulder can represent Confidence, a hand on your shoulder can be something that encourages you or builds you up or strengthen you. And so Isaiah says, excuse me, Jeremiah says, the Lord put, put forth his hand and touched my mouth. Now you were touching your neighbor's shoulder and it represents all that. But if somebody touches your mouth, number one, you don't let nobody touch your mouth. It ain't supposed to be close enough to touch your mouth. A stranger can't walk up to me and say, let me put my hand on your mouth. No, you cannot put your hand on my mouth. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I'm watching you all the way right now. (laughs) Look at this, look at this. The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. Number one, if God puts his hand on your mouth, it represents God's intimacy with you. That God said, I'm close enough to you, I can touch your mouth. And guess what? I'm kind enough to you that you ain't going to resist when I do. God touched my mouth. And he said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. 
when I was a kid, when I'd be at my grandmother's house, if there was a noise or a sound or something fell or something happened, there was only one name that was going to get called. I was the oldest grandchild, and no matter who else was there, no matter what else happened, the first thing out of my grandmother's mouth was going to be my name. Derry Lee Moton, what happened? Yes, Derry Lee. My, my, my daddy's from Alabama. Yes, Derry Lee Moton. <laughs> my name would be in her mouth. God said, I will put my words in your mouth so that when something happens, the name that I put in your mouth comes out of your mouth. <laughs> See, I'm the oldest grandchild, and, I, and my, no, none of my, siblings, my cousins are here, so I can say this. I was the favorite. <laughs> they ain't here to hear, so I can say it. I was the favorite. I was the first, so my name was in her mouth. And so when something happened, she would say my name. That's how I like to remember that. <laughs> but the point being, God, I put my hand on your mouth. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. I'm going to put my word. God says, I'm going to put my words, my phrases, my things I want, things I'm going to put them in your mouth. What was Jeremiah? Jeremiah was a prophet. What is a prophet's responsibility? A prophet's responsibility is to speak what God says to those who sometimes want to hear and those who sometimes don't want to hear. But the key is, is that God's word is in their mouth. And we trust that if somebody, quote, is prophetic, that they will speak God's word out of their mouth. But I'm going to call your attention to something because I want you to get the depth of what this means. Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. I want you to notice that there's an S on the end of those. Over the nations and the kingdoms. He was a prophet to Israel. Except God said, I've given something, I'm putting my word in your mouth, and I'm setting you over nations and kingdoms. <laughs> the boundary of his authority should have only been Israel. But it wasn't. There was a bigger boundary than what he was grown up to understand. See this day, I've set you over the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. In other words, I've given you authority. My words are in your mouth, not only to build things up, but to tear some things down, not only to plant new things, but also to uproot things that need to be uprooted. There are two different things that the word of God is in our mouth to do. Undo things that should not be there and to do things that should be there. That's why God puts his word in our mouth. But the problem 
in Christianity is that we have God's word in our mouth, but we don't have faith in our heart. Because you can believe that God has called you to something. You believe God said to do something, but some people don't have it in their heart to do what God says. Not because they're not good people, but because the enemy keeps us in chairs that do not correspond with God speaking to us. We talked about four chairs previously, and this chair, the first chair, represents people's experience with God, which is only about the omnipresence of God. In other words, God is everywhere, God's in everything, and whether you believe it or not, this chair represents that. Most people in this chair do not believe in God. Most people in this chair won't accept God for what the Bible says he is. Most people who sit in this chair only consider God as a cosmic substance or as something that is just maybe there or that he's not there at all. That's where I sat. I grew up in a household with people who believed God, except I sat in this chair because I did not believe that God existed. And then you have the next chair. This is the chair that represents the manifestation of God. That God shows up or something happens and people have to argue about it, but they can ultimately say, that was God. I may not want to accept it. I may not want to receive it. And I can either be a believer or not a believer, but I know something supernatural just happened. We all saw it. And so I believe something's out there. And some of us may say that something is Jesus. The third chair is the chair that represents not just manifestation of God showing up, but God showing up in a way that is personal, that you know God showed up and he showed up for you. (laughs) He showed up to talk to you or he showed up to, to, to persuade you or something happened in which you have an interaction with God and you realize I just had an interaction with divinity. Something divine just happened. I can't argue it. Nobody else can understand it. I can't even describe it to other people, but I know it happened. I know it was talking to me. Whether there's a voice outside your head, a voice inside your head, don't make me no difference. God showed up. God was talking to you because it is a visitation from God. And the fourth chair is a chair that can only be sat in by someone who is a believer. Someone who is a Christian. Now you can be a Christian and be in these two chairs. Chair number two or chair number three. You can be there. But unbelievers can be in these chairs as well. But this is a chair where only a Christian can be. Now you can be on this down end down here. If you don't believe that God is personal, you're probably not Christian. If you don't believe that God is personal and that God will come and manifest himself. If you don't believe that, then you're probably in chair number two. Therefore, this chair is exclusively for people who do not believe. But on the other side of the continuum, there's also a chair that only people who believe are in. But if you had to look at Christianity as a whole, the fact of the matter is most people sit in these two chairs. 
And sometimes it's not until crisis or challenge or something goes in a way that we need God that we end up moving to this chair. Sometimes when everything's good in our life, we feel good, we feel great, everything's smooth, smoothing. I can wait for God to show up or I can wait for God to come and talk to me. But when crisis happens, boy, that's when I want to listen for God. That's when I need to hear your voice. I need to seek you. I need to know, man, are you here, Lord? Where are you? Come on. Show up for me, Lord. Lord, yes, I'm waiting on you. I'm praying for you. I'm talking to you. I'm fasting for you. I'm, oh, I'm hungry for you right near in this chair. And sometimes God has to allow me to sit in this chair and a crisis to happen to me when I'm just waiting for God to show up to me to call God down. Because I'm in trouble and I need him. But God wants me to be, even if I don't feel like I need him, I remain in his presence. Amen? We preached about this a couple of weeks. I shared this before we started service. I preached about this a couple of weeks ago. And a friend of mine, he's a pastor in Virginia. And he contacted me. He said, Pastor Derry. He said, Pastor Derry, I listened to your message. He said, and man, I was so blessed. He said, but then at the end, you asked a question, and I had to go back and listen to the message again. He said, I went back and listened to the message again, and when I listened a second time, I was offended. I was offended because I like to think of myself always in the fourth chair. He said, but the questions that you asked made me realize I often sit in other chairs. God told Jeremiah, he said, I'm putting my hand on your mouth. I'm putting my words in your mouth. I'm going to give you power to set you over nations and over kingdoms. I'm putting you over things. However, when you're over those things, How many of you know that when you're over something, it is a responsibility? When you're over something, it requires a certain amount of responsibility. If I walk in a liquor store and I go to the refrigerator and I grab a bottle of wine and I turn around and I walk into the counter and one of you fine partners of this ministry walks in and sees Pastor Derry in a liquor store holding a bottle of wine. What would you think? Ooh, Pastor. (laughs) Now, is it lawful for me to drink wine? Is it expedient for me to drink wine? Which means, what's the price tag for it? Not because God will judge me, but because I have a responsibility as a pastor. Not that I, if I drink wine, that something's going, I'm going to get drunk and something's going to happen. Not that. But there's a responsibility on my life, and that responsibility means I have to represent what I believe God put me in position to do. Is it wrong? Not necessarily wrong. Is it wise? Probably not. 
Why? Because I find more freedom in being a blessing than being a burden. Listen to, listen to me, because I'm, I'm not making a perfection statement. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm perfect and I won't ever make it. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that I recognize the level of responsibility I have for souls eternally. And because I have an eternal responsibility for people's souls, I have to handle myself circumspectly. And because of what my calling in life is, I find it more peaceful to live circumspect than to live the other way. There's a responsibility. God told Jeremiah, I have put my word in your mouth and see this day I have set you over nations and over kingdoms to to root out to pull down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. That can only be done from this chair. See, you can't do that. I want you to notice what he says. I've given you this power. I've set you over this. I've given you power. And look at verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. Where is his word? You've seen well, for I'm ready to perform my word. So where is his word? In Jeremiah's mouth. In our mouth. (laughs) I'm not going to move fast. I'm going to let you meditate on what I'm asking you. Where is his word? Yeah, if you've been meditating on the word, the word is in your heart and in your mouth, even the word of faith which you speak. Second Corinthians chapter five, excuse me, chapter four. The word of the Lord in your mouth. He puts his word in your mouth because he has called you to do something. God's called you to be a impactful person. God's will is on you. God's hand is on you. And sometimes you judge that based on how you feel about you and not about his word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Acts chapter (laughs) 1. Acts chapter 1. Miracles happen in two ways. Miracles happen, number one, when somebody who's capable of performing a miracle works it. Number two, when the environment around the person who's there is willing to receive it. (laughs) Acts chapter 1, verse 8 
But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus telling his disciples the last thing he tells them before he ascends into heaven. He had already told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures. And then now he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Judea, in Samaria, and all the earth. You're going to receive power. When did the power come? Power came in Acts chapter 2, when they were all in one accord, in one place, sitting and praying, waiting on God. And all of a sudden, the power of God came. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began speaking with other tongues, and they went out into the streets, and they began preaching and prophesying and speaking the word of God to the people who were there. And as the people heard the word and they responded, they heard the word and Peter said, this is what it is. You guys don't understand. This is what the prophets were already talking about. That one day God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh and young people and old people. Everybody was going to have a reaction to the word of God. Male, female, they were all going to speak and do things supernaturally in the presence of God. And when they heard it, they were all convicted. Because they were all Jews sitting in these two chairs. See, they were Jews. They were believers. They believed in God. And so when the disciples came out of the upper room on fire for God, speaking the works of God, declaring the things of God, when they heard the preaching, they said, wait a minute, did God just show up? Wait a minute, has God visited us? The answer was, yes, he has. And guess what? He wants to fill you the same way we got filled. Come on, come on. The same way that the disciples of Jesus, those who walked with him for three and a half years, those special people, those individuals who were so special that Jesus hand-selected them, you, couldn't, you could not hang with Jesus unless he picked you. You couldn't just self-select. The man who was crazy and Jesus healed him, the man, when he got his right mind, he said, Jesus, can I follow you? Jesus said, no. <laughs> Jesus, I'm so excited. I, I, was, I was out of my mind. You set me free. You cast the devil out of me. Can I follow you? No, go home. <laughs> but these hand-picked men and women who were in the upper room praying, when the Spirit came upon them, they were special. They were chosen. They were selected. And the Holy Spirit fell on them and they began prophesying and speaking in tongues. And wow, look at this. What is this? It's what the prophet said. And wow, this, this whole commotion is going on in Jerusalem. And the people who are listening and amazed by it, they look up. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. When they heard what had happened, they were so cut to the heart. They wanted change. They wanted something. They wanted to see something different happen. Wait a minute. This is God moving? We want what God's moving in. If this is how God is moving, we want it. And Peter said to them and the rest of the apostles, 
<laughs> Repent. If you won't change, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I want you to understand these people believed. These people were there for a feast. These are people who were living, willing to come from all over Israel to this one town for a feast. I got people I know who won't, <laughs> they won't walk across the street to hear something good. These people came from all over the nation to hear. These are people who are hungry or thirsty. They want to hear something from God. They want to be in favor of God. They want to be there. And because they were there, they heard this word and this word tells them all you need to do is repent. Now, when we say repentance, it draws a line in the sand. And when you say the word repent, everybody gets upset. Everybody gets agitated. And my friend, my pastor friend who listened to the message, he said, I was offended. He said, because what you asked me to do in the message was to search my own heart and see where I've missed it. But I'm a pastor. I don't want to confess where I missed it. But guess what? There's those of us who aren't pastors. We don't want to confess where we missed it, where we're coming short, where we're not fully let God into our lives all the way. We don't want to confess that because we're good Christians. That line set there about repentance is a line that if we aren't willing to cross the line, we can never get to the chair. These were believers. They're, these are Jews. These are people who love God. And they're in these two chairs waiting for something to happen. Something happened. Now, now that something happened, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond now that something happened? The Holy Spirit has come down out of heaven, empowered these individuals. 120 people are filled with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, crying out the wonderful works of God. We see it with our own eyes. What are we going to do? <laughs> Repent. What does repentance mean? Repentance means to have a change of heart that triggers an action in a new direction. A change of heart that triggers an action in a new direction. Like I said, that car, I test drove that car and all of a sudden I was repentant. I said what I was not going to do, but I drove the car and I said, I will do what I said I wasn't going to do. Because my heart was changed. My mind was changed. I saw something I hadn't seen before. And now I was willing to, with natural resources, do something different. 
But what happens in the spiritual life when I'm sitting here and I'm enjoying my life because I got a good life, because I have a good job, and because my family's okay, and because I'm relatively healthy, and because everything's cool when I measure myself against other people, and I drive through other neighborhoods and say how blessed I am while I go to my neighborhood that I live in. And what about when I'm living like that, and I don't have to do anything special because I'm just waiting for God to do something else for me. What happens when I'm that Christian? And everything on the external of me is all good. But inside, I'm still struggling. But I can't let nobody know I'm struggling because that means spiritually, I live in neighborhoods that I naturally have to pass. See, let me make it, let me make it plain. There's ghettos on the outside and there's ghettos on the inside. (laughs) Some of us got ghettos on the inside and it ain't all cool and it's dangerous in there and it ain't no place you want to be after dark. (laughs) Come on. Inside, there's some things in us that ain't all good. And people look on the outside and say, it's cool, but on the inside, it ain't cool in here. Amen. Amen. Peter said, repent. See, when, 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 when the disciples, there was no cars and houses that they, the people saw. There wasn't all the, quote, blessing stuff we talk about. None of that was what happened right there in Acts chapter 2. No, they didn't see none of that. Amen. What they saw was they saw people free. They saw people who were so free that they were speaking the wonderful works of God. And when they saw how free those people were, they saw it and they said, what do we have to do? What do we have to do to get that? (laughs) See, God's next move ain't about stuff. The next move that God's doing ain't about stuff. Stuff is good and stuff is going to come, but it ain't about the stuff. God's next move is about how to get people who are bound and they are having every single possible conceivable thing that their imaginations have brought them. I'm looking, I'm looking, at, some, I'm looking at something. Downtown Oakland, all these skyscrapers are being erected. Residential skyscrapers, residential condominiums, all this stuff. Gentrification is live and active in Oakland. A lot of neighborhoods that I remember from growing up, those neighborhoods are are being changed. And so this new stuff is erecting, and, and it's an overflow from downtown San Francisco. And so downtown San Francisco, you can't buy a condominium a one, you can't buy a one-bedroom condominium in San Francisco for less than $500,000. You can't buy one. You cannot buy one. And now the overflow is coming into Oakland. So you have all these people who are working in these 
tech businesses and generating lots of income and they've, they're struggling, but they're still, you know, they're doing stuff and they're living their life and they're doing things and, and they have things going and they f- figured out that, you know what, uh, I don't want God, but I want to do good works. And so, uh, so we have a lot of good work things that people do, good works all over the place. They're doing all kinds of stuff because I want to feel good. And so I'm going to pay it forward. Right? I don't want God, but I don't want to feel bad. So doing something good for somebody else will make me feel good. Now, I can be in this chair and do that. I don't even have to believe there's a God to do that. I can do good works all day long. So there's a move of God to get people to the fourth chair. But it's not based on stuff. It's not even based on good works. It's based on the condition of the heart. Its condition is change. Changing the heart. See, these people said, what do we need to do? You need to repent. What does it mean? You need to have a change of heart and thought regarding how you're living. Now, he didn't tell them. Look, at, I want you to look, look closely at the passage. There's three distinct things there. There's number one, their desire. What do we do? Number two is the call to repentance. The third, which people get mixed up with what repentance is, is forgiveness through the baptismal process, which blots away your sin. See, we think repentance is about sin. <laughs> repent, you dirty sinner, repent. <laughs> repentance is not just about sin. Repentance is about our attitude toward God. Repentance is about your attitude toward your creator and what you're going to do with that attitude. When your attitude gets right, when you, quote, repent, then he forgives your sin. See, we think repentance is mean you got to repent and get your whole life right. Then you come to church and then you get better after that. No, you repent and have a change of attitude. Then God forgives your sin and then he disciples you toward change. He disciples your life toward a new creation life, a core change toward you being a new creation, you doing something new. Guess what? The day I got saved, I still had the same stuff in my pocket as when I got saved. Amen. But God saved me and God filled me with his spirit. And then I went home, and as God was ministering to me, I began taking things out of my pockets. And I let things go, and I didn't have to fight about it. I just released those things, and those things started coming off of me. Because what was happening is, God was saying, you know what, you used to sit over here, but I'm going to show you that I'm real. And then I'm going to show up and talk to you, and I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Then I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And when your spirit, my spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power. And that power is going to let you reach in your pocket, take things out, throw them away and never look back for them. 
When you get the spirit in you, when the spirit comes in you and the spirit comes upon you, he's going to put a new way of thinking in your mind and you're going to live in constant state of repentance going, oh, that's how you do this. Oh, oh, that's how I live this life. Oh, that's how I move. Oh, this is how I can be a blessing instead of trying to get somebody to bless me because I'm blessed and I keep getting my mind renewed and my mind gets renewed more and more and then I sit in this seat and then Jesus calls me out on the water and I see all my circumstances and say, I can't do this. (laughs) And then all he says is this, repent, just repent, just have a change of heart and you can come right back to the seat. Guess what? Guess what? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work to get back to the seat. All you have to do is say, Lord, thank you. I see. And now I change my heart. And guess what? Now I move right back to the seat. I don't have to get to this seat from there. I can go from there all the way to here. As a matter of fact, in all reality, when I got saved the night, I went from the first chair to the fourth chair the same night. I skipped the other two chairs. But then God showed me other areas of my life where I was still struggling and I was still sitting in these chairs. And he said, guess what? Just get your mind on me and I'll bring you over here. I'll bring you to a new place. The problem in the church is this. There are a couple of things that keep us from the fourth chair, which I want to talk to you about really quickly. And then we're going to get ready to close. Number one thing that keeps people from the chair, the fourth chair, is false or inaccurate teaching. If you're taught that as a Christian, you're not changed. If you're taught that when you're a Christian, you're just a sinner. And I don't want to to be mocking when I say this. When you're taught that you're a sinner saved by grace, and it's not, and which is true. However, if it's not explained to you that God's desire for you is for you as a sinner saved by grace to be filled with his Holy Spirit so that you become the container of God. And as a container of God, you then have power to do things. If you believe you're a sinner saved by grace and that you are a victim to every sin or thing that comes in your environment, then that's what you do. You give in because you've never been taught you can do anything else. So false teaching will keep you in the wrong chair. Tell your neighbor, say, praise the Lord. I can read the Bible myself. The second thing that keeps us out of the fourth chair is religion. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is ministering to someone about tithing. And as they're having this dialogue about it, Jesus said, listen, You needed to not only tithe, but you needed to do the right thing concerning tithing. He said, but here's the problem. He said, your traditions, your traditions, your religion has made the word of God of non-effect. 
In other words, you're so stuck on your religion and what you was taught this means that you're not even reading the word yourself and seeing what God says. You're passing down a religious ideology over and over and over again. And so now it has lost its power and its effect because it's become religion and not the presence of God. The whole reason for Jesus dying, the whole reason for Jesus is not to set in place a Christian religious system. It is so that the Holy Spirit can come and be inside every person who believes. So that every person has a direct connection with God. Every person has an ability to go directly to God, talk to God, hear from God, be moved by God and do what God says to do. It was never that it was a big religious system and it's a matter of fact. When Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, he does not use the word church facility. He uses the word, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. It's the Greek word for church as in a person who is the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the church, members one of another. So religion will stop you from going to the chair because I can tell you something that God says in the word, but if it don't line up with your religion, you will reject it. Number three, dominant emotions. When your emotions dominate you, your emotions will keep you out of the fourth chair. Because you will argue against the truth because of how you feel. One morning I woke up and I did not feel good. I felt really bad. And I said, I'm not going to work today. I don't feel good. And I laid there in the bed, probably about, probably about 5.30 in the morning when I made my decision, I ain't going to work. I don't feel good. It's 5.30 in the morning, I don't feel good. I ain't going to work. It's time to get up. I don't feel good when I'm getting up, so I ain't going. <laughs> so I ain't go. So the next morning I woke up, I don't feel good. Y'all know where this is going, right? If every morning you don't feel good, you don't go to work, how long are you going to have a job? We all know that, right? Sometimes you don't feel it, but you go to work. I ain't feeling work today, but I'm going to work. Right? If your emotions dominate you every morning when you wake up, you won't go nowhere. You'll lay in the bed till you feel better. Well, what happens if you don't feel better? <laughs> Dominant emotions will keep you out of this chair because your emotions will tell you one thing. And never mind the fact that also... Most times when I don't feel good in the morning, I usually feel better about 8 o'clock. <laughs> if I don't feel good at 5.30, usually by 8 o'clock, I'm cool. 
just long enough to have called in sick. And miraculously, I'm healed. <laughs> if your emotions dominate you, your emotions will keep you out of the chair. Amen? Number four, choosing flesh over spirit. The choice of flesh over spirit. So while dominant emotions is about how you feel, Choosing flesh over spirit is choosing what makes you feel good over what God says. What do I mean by that? That has kind of two branches. One is pleasures that we would refer to as basically as lust. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, right? Those things keep us from God. But the second thing is probably even more um, nasty. And that is called weariness, getting tired. I'm tired, so I ain't going to do what God said. I'm tired. Nothing wrong except I'm tired. How many of y'all ever been tired? <laughs> Sometimes we're tired because of we're in a flesh performance. And what I mean by that is, is that we're working so hard. Sometimes we're trying to please God with our behaviors and we wear ourselves out trying to please God. And that's not how you please God. Faith is how you please God. Yeah. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because those that come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, not those that work night and day for him. So there are some weary people, weary Christians, love God. Me and Tammy were at this wedding one time. And this, this lady was, the caterer was in the kitchen working. She was working so hard. That lady was working in there. She was working. And she was working so hard. She had, uh, she was working so hard she couldn't find a spoon. She's making punch and she can't find the spoon. And she's all stressed out. And so, so she rolled up her sleeve. And she's. She stuck her hand in the punch bowl. She's, she's in there working it, too. She's in there working it hard. And she had a towel around her neck. And it was a towel. She had ice in the towel because her neck was hurting. And the towel's around her neck. And she's in there stirring. Whoo! And we, we went in there and so, said, oh, we're not going to stay for this one. We're going to leave right now. We ain't staying for this one. Uh, but anyway, that's the picture. We, we, we laugh about this today because it's the picture of weariness. This lady's working so hard and she got, she got ice around her. Oh, and she's, she can't find stuff. It's a, you in the kitchen, you can't find one spoon in the kitchen. But she's so weary, she can't get time to look at no spoon. I'm just, oh, I just stand this up. Woo! It's true. This is really true. But guess what? There's Christians like that. There's this song that the, I, I used to sing, and, and, and it was called, I Miss My Time With You. 
And it's a song that God is singing to a person, saying, I miss my time with you, all those moments together. I want to be with you today, but I can't take it when I hear you say, you're too busy. You're too busy trying to please me. (laughs) But how can you please me when your heart is empty? And the song is God singing to a person who's so dedicated, so sold out, so working hard for God that they not even stopping to talk to God. And there are good Christians who love God, but they're stuck in these chairs. They're Martha's working hard, mad at her sister Mary because Mary's talking to Jesus. Don't she see all this work I'm doing? Don't she know she should be helping me work? What's wrong with her? Jesus says she picked a good thing and she won't be, she won't be penalized for what she selected. It's better to spend time with God. The last thing is a non-repentant heart. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repentance is such a bad word with people. People hate to hear somebody say repent. If I sit down with somebody and, and counsel with them, and they tell me they have problems, I say the first thing you need to do is repent. God, I guarantee you it's going to be an argument in there. You know, all you need to do is Repent. But I want you to see something here. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Change, converted. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sin may be blotted out. And look at this. So that times of refreshing can come from the presence of God. Of the Lord. So you have an enemy who doesn't want you to repent because he knows that once you get your heart turned toward God and you get yourself aligned with God, God blots out your sin and your issues and your challenges and all those things that keep you from God, and then he brings you to a time of refreshing. What's the refreshing comes from? It comes from the presence presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing coming from the presence of God. Being in the presence of God refreshes you and we believe sometimes that the presence of God restricts us or constrains us or makes us harsh or makes us something wrong and it I had one moment that I cling to will forever cling to. One night, I went to this service. It was a New Year's service, the first year I got saved. I went to this New Year's service, and there was all this praising and worshiping and people dancing and having a good old time. And after it was over, I got in my car, and I was driving. And then all of a sudden, the time of refreshing came on me. The time of refreshing came on me like I never felt before. It was just the peace of God that goes past all understanding that I could not even explain to you what I experienced. But it was so refreshing. That night I was up for, it was close to 36 hours. Because I had been up all day, gone to the 
going to this thing. And when I got to work, they kept us at work. And we had to, I had, my boss let me go to this thing because I worked graveyard. So she let me come to this thing. And I drove back, went to work 36 hours. I was like, had to try to make myself go to sleep because that time of refreshing had me lit up. <laughs> God had me so lit up. I was like, ooh, man. But he refreshed me. And 36 hours later, I was still... Because a time of refreshing came from the presence of the Lord. See what I'm telling you is this. I'm telling you, saints, God wants you in this chair. God loves you so much. He's made every avenue available. Do not let any one of those hindrances stop you from getting to the chair. Do your everything you can. There's something in your life that's holding you back from the chair. Set that thing down. Let it go. Get to the place of refreshing. Get to the place where God can refresh you and build you up. If people want to know how, they, I had somebody looked at my calendar one and said, how are you doing all this? I said, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He refreshes me. He gets me built up. Tammy and I do stuff sometimes. We, we're, like, we're tired, but guess what? God energizes us. He energizes. He gives us another gear. I think I'm out. I think I'm tapped out. And God said, nope. I got something else for you. I got something else. I can take you to another level. God, I'm telling you what, even preaching, even preaching sometimes, I said, man, I ain't got nothing else. I'm out, Lord. He said, no, you ain't. Uh, come on, open your mouth. I'll put my word in your mouth. <laughs> uh, hallelujah. And you'll speak my word. And my word will come out of you. And my word will accomplish what I please. It'll do what I send it to do. Because you're the vessel. I'm the substance. Come on. God is the substance on the inside of us. Amen. He's the substance. That's what we're trying to get stirred in us. Is that the presence of God is not of us, but of God. You have a treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellence of the power is not about you. Woo! Come on. What's keeping me alive? The power of God. What's keeping me moving? The power of God. What's keeping me doing things that I don't understand? Power of God. What keeps me doing things that other people said I cannot do? The power of God. (laughs) Come on. Come on. And guess what? In Acts chapter 2, I told you he said, repent. And you know what happened? Those people that repented, they became just like the special people. See, the 120 that were in the upper room, the hand selected, the picked, those special people, when they received what the disciples said, they repented, the Spirit came upon them the same way they came upon them. The Spirit came upon 3,000 people the same way it came up to the 120 that went out of their way to pray. These were just walking down the street, not even know what's going on. And all of a sudden, they had the same thing those had because God doesn't reward us by our labors. (laughs) He's not interested in your toil. He's interested in your faith. Because faith is a substance of things you hope for and evidence of things you cannot see. Amen. Praise the Lord. We got to stop right there. I can't take y'all no further. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Today's message was titled Purpose to Power from our series, The Presence of God. For more information about Abundant Life Worship Center, please feel free to check out our website at AbundantLifeWorship.net. 
On our site, you'll find more information about us, our church and events calendar, and other messages that may be of interest to you. Once again, the site is AbundantLifeWorship.net. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AbundantLifeWorship.net. God bless, and we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. And until then, I invite you to stay in the fourth chair and remember that Jesus came to give you life, and that more abundantly.